are entering the Freedom Hut. Hurricane Florence barrels toward the Carolinas. We'll talk about what the expectations are for that storm and how it's already being politicized. Also, Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris are lying about Judge Kavanaugh. They're lying in such blatant fashion, even their own side has had to call it out. We'll discuss what the political calculation is. And also, Norm MacDonald banished. We'll talk about why and how he got caught up in a Me Too moment coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Uh, We believe that there could be well over 100,000 people displaced meaning they've left their homes and can't return. Put that in perspective, there were about 44,000 in Houston and the Gulf of Texas uh, in the the storm that they had. So this is two or three times bigger than that. The federal and state response and preparation to this point has far exceeded anything I've seen in my previous 25 years. Um, FEMA's pre-positioning of equipment, their coordination with the states, the early decisions by governors and the actions by the president to sign the emergency declarations, the pre-positioning of water and food generators, the pre-positioning of power trucks to take care of the power losses. I've never seen as well a coordinated efforts that's being put on right now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, folks. I, I really like that we're getting on the record here from federal officials, You know how much preparation is going into this. Because, one, I want to know that our fellow Americans and the Carolinas that are affected are getting as much assistance and attention and, and, and help as possible. That's the most important thing, far and away. Also, though, as a secondary consideration here, it's good for us all to get a chance to, uh, to hear from folks who are just being honest about what's going on. Because you can tell the media is positioning themselves to, to pounce on Trump for this. And no matter what happens, no matter what Trump and the and FEMA and federal and, and state agencies try to do here to limit the damage and protect life with this massive storm, a Category 3, I believe, right now, still very high winds, about to hit the U.S., mainland, they're going to try to make political hay of this. They're going to try to turn this into a yet another opportunity to bash President Trump. That is a, That is a goal here. That is what they're looking for and that's why you can see that some of the questions they're asking they're they're preparing this narrative before it even happens right you had a a guy from what spectrum news producer mike who was asking a fema representative about funds being directed and they're trying to they're trying to say you know trump essentially isn't doing they're trying to find some basis to say trump isn't doing enough here trump doesn't care about people that are getting hit by a hurricane you know trump doesn't care about anything that's what the media thinks just himself that's the storyline they want to run with no matter what. Well, here's how it actually went when they talked to a FEMA representative about it. Play five. We learned this morning that Senator Jeff Merkley obtained memos showing the Trump administration taking nearly $10 million from FEMA, which deals with hurricane relief, and giving the money to ICE for more detention centers. What can you tell us about this? Is that funding, is that funding, would that funding have been used for hurricane relief? 
Uh, yes, ma'am. What I can tell you is we have plenty of resources, both monetary, staff, and commodities, to respond to the dangerous storm that is Hurricane Florence. We, again, ask those residents that are in the impacted zones to heed the warnings now. Uh, additional information can be provided, but right now we want to focus on uh, what are those impacts from Florence and what can our citizens do today, which is the last good day to evacuate, and we really want to push that message. But can you specifically shed any light on this funding that Senator Markley is, uh, Markley is calling attention to? Yes, ma'am. What I can tell you is we have plenty of resources to respond. We have plenty of resources to recover. Uh, that has not impacted our situation whatsoever. Plenty of resources, he says. Stop trying to find a story. Stop trying to create a story of insufficient resources because you want to make it sound like Trump doesn't care, or isn't doing enough, or isn't doing a good job. Just stop. Right. That's that's not happening. It's not what's happening. You're supposed to report the news, not make it up as you go along and not try to force a narrative that's not there. But as you know, folks, the left sees storms as an opportunity, sees major natural disasters, weather events like this as an opportunity to slam the political opposition. And they can't accept that, you know, sometimes just really bad things happen that no one can completely or fully or adequately prepare for. There's going to be damage. There'll even sometimes be loss of life. That is just the way things are. You know, they don't they don't have any sense of that, right? It's always, oh my gosh, Trump didn't Trump didn't do this or Trump won't do that. And they're trying to also tie this into uh, what happened in Puerto Rico already to create you, you see how they're trying to formulate this narrative. Because here's what President Trump said about Puerto Rico just yesterday. Play clip one. I think Puerto Rico was uh, incredibly successful. Uh, Puerto Rico was actually our toughest one of all because it's an island. So you, just, you can't truck things onto it. Everything's by boat. Uh, we moved a hospital into Puerto Rico, a tremendous uh, military hospital in the form of a ship. You know that? Puerto Rico got hit not with one hurricane, but with two. And the problem with Puerto Rico is their electric grid and their electric... Uh, generating plant was dead before the storms ever hit. The job that FEMA and law enforcement and everybody did working along with the governor in Puerto Rico, I think was tremendous. I think that Puerto Rico was an incredible unsung success. Now they're jumping all over them for this, right? They all the media, they're in a meltdown over this. They even got the the mayor of San Juan to come out to trash Trump play too. Well, I, I think the president's statement is despicable. It just uh, goes to the lack of understanding of reality that he has. If he thinks that the death of 3,000 people is his best, he really doesn't know what this was all about. This was never about politics. He's talking about unsung praise. Well, you know, nobody's singing his praises. Folks. I can't always tell with the left whether we're dealing with an idiot or a liar. But all too often these days, it's one, if not both of those things. When President Trump says that Puerto Rico is an incredible unsung success, he's not saying the storm was a success. He's not saying, look at how great everything is in Puerto Rico. What he's trying to convey to the American people is that the federal response under the circumstances dealing with the limitations of reality was very, very effective. I mean, this to me would be like saying, well, how dare anybody say that the uh, that that 9-11, the, the, the cleanup effort there was, you know, a really 
really, really, really successful. You know, the cleanup effort didn't save any lives. You know, the, the cleanup effort didn't stop the towers from coming down. Well, no, but it, it's a terrible situation. And we, we got we got attacked, a sneak attack by jihadist psychopaths, killed 3000 Americans. But the response to that afterwards, you can still say that the response to uh, to deal with the debris, to clean up the site, to, you know, was was well done by the federal government. You know, the, these are these are kind of two separate things that you can refer to. With Puerto Rico, he's not saying the hurricane was an unsung success. He's saying the response to it under the circumstances, which were incredibly difficult, was a very good response. It doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean it's not terribly sad that thousands of people died. He's just saying we we did, under the circumstances, the best that could be done. And the left, of course, you know, they deny this. They shout him down for this. And they want to say that he's an unfeeling brute and evil and, and all the rest of it. Because, folks, you know, we talk about how everything's political now. Even weather is very political to the left, not just climate change. Although they're going to do that with this, too. But response to natural disasters is an opportunity to score cheap political points. We'll get more into this and the media meltdown over it in a moment. We've also got Joe Bastardi joining to talk about uh, some, you know, his expert opinion on what we should expect here. So that and much more coming up. Stay with me. The president's record on hurricane response, uneven at best. A deadly hurricane in Puerto Rico almost exactly one year ago revealed that even natural disasters are processed by this president as political undertakings. We've been talking about how the president today called the hurricane response in Puerto Rico one of the best jobs that's ever been done. Pointing to last year's response to Puerto Rico's hurricane as, quote, an incredible unsung success. As an incredible unsung success. He's still saying it was an incredible unsung success story. So how out of touch is President Trump? Far more so than President Bush. If he thinks that's an unparalleled success, God only knows what he would think a failure would be. You know, if the president thinks that his response and the federal government's response to Puerto Rico was an incredible success, then quite honestly, we're all in trouble. The statements by the president, let's be clear, are delusional, insensitive and outrageous. The only one who was lazy was you, Mr. President. You were lazy and you weren't on duty and people died because of it. Blaming Trump for the dead in Puerto Rico and doing so, by the way, while saying that, you know, Trump is the one who politicizes hurricanes and hurricane relief. Isn't it astonishing? This is a reminder, really, of one of Obama's favorite tactics, which was Obama always took the position that the other side was political. He was just righteous and wise. You know, they have they've got politics. I've got solutions, the answers. You know, they do politics. I don't do that. You know, Obama always had that approach, and it's it's really dishonest and obviously demeaning to the other side. Um, but, you know, they go even beyond. So so there, there's a couple layers here of how unfair they are to Trump on this whole issue. Uh, it's not just that they say that. And look, I, I would have used different language than Trump to describe what happened in Puerto Rico and, and in his you know efforts to uh, try and get Puerto Rico the aid that it needed. Uh, but, you know, there's also this level of saying that Trump is the reason people died. I mean, that's just despicable. It's despicable to make that claim because there, there's no evidence for it. It's obviously a, a disgraceful thing to say. And they keep saying, it. in fact, Joe Crowley, who's the uh, member of Congress, the kind of longtime 
big-time Democrat from New York who lost to Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, he just explicitly says, you know, basically Trump killed people. Play 18. We failed our fellow citizens and fellow Americans in Puerto Rico. President Trump ignored the entire island, uh, leaving people, quite frankly, to die. Um, This Republican-led Congress failed to allocate the necessary funds to help rebuild and repair the island. And I believe this was preventable. Now, you know, folks, I I, I don't want to get too deep into this because I'd have to really dig into the numbers, but there are only 60 people were lost from the actual storm as it happened. So it was a very small number, relatively speaking. You know, every life is precious and every death is a tragedy in this situation, I understand. But a very small number, relatively speaking, were killed from the storm. It was the aftermath of the storm. We have this number now of 3,000 people, which, of course, is very similar to the, you know, very close to the number of those who were killed on the day of 9-11, not over a period of many, many months. But when you look at also how this is being uh, tabulated, what they're doing is they're saying... Well, the the condition of the island was so deteriorated that the mortality rate when you took out the uh, when you when you uh, you know excluded the people that had left the island, the mortality rate of those who stayed behind was so significantly higher that three thousand people died. But you know, in a lot of these cases, people are that they're talking about they died from you know diabetes, they died from a lack of of treatment for uh, tre- uh, treatable diseases. I mean. And I just think it's I think it's a very strange thing to claim that President Trump is responsible for those deaths. Um, I spoke to the delegate from from Puerto Rico about this. I spoke to the uh, the one person who represents Puerto Rico in Congress. And she said flatly, the federal government sent a lot of resources. The federal government was trying to help us. It was a really, really bad situation. The storm was way worse than anything we had prepared for. That That's Trump's fault now? You know, I, folks, the, the, the thing you have to remember is that liberals see all of these different political stories in terms of cycles, right? They see it as what worked before. That's why they get so excited about Woodward and Bernstein and Watergate and Trump and impeachment. They think they can bring that whole thing back. And they also view a real tipping point in the Bush administration as uh, the as the Katrina moment that Bush had. And they think that they can replicate that with Trump and start to turn the because remember Bush after 9-11, very much a united country behind him, very popular. It was really Katrina where you started to see a big shift in public opinion on George W. Bush. And they're hoping that uh, the, the hurricane in Puerto Rico is an opportunity to do the same thing. So it's, it's very it's very obviously political, very explicitly political from them. Uh, but I also think that it's 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 dishonest on, on the facts. Uh, there was a lot of aid and a lot of supplies that were in the uh, at the ports in Puerto Rico that weren't able to make it into the interior of the island because there were basically no bridges and no roads and and no power. And so we we were sending stuff. But, you know, people keep saying, oh, well, if it was in the mainland, it would be uh, in, in the mainland, it would be such a better response. I mean, for one thing, you look at what happened with Katrina in, in New Orleans. And, you know, I, I don't think that it's not like, oh, something, you know, you look at what happened with Houston, even, which wasn't on the same scale as, as Katrina in terms of lives lost. But uh, obviously a tremendous amount of damage just because it's on the mainland doesn't mean that the federal government steps in and makes everything great and fixes everything right away. I mean, that's not true either. So I think there's a lot of overstatement of how big the 
the uh, the difference is between what you what you've seen on Puerto Rico on the island and, and what happened, uh, what's happened to the mainland when there's been a major disaster response that has been needed in in the past. But it, it's just, you know, this is Bush lied, babies died, folks. Remember that the Iraq War that was the mantra of love. Bush Bush lied, babies died, and now, you know, with Trump, it's essentially Bush lied, babies died in Puerto Rico. That's what they. Uh, that's what they're trying to get going as a meme. They're trying to create political advantage from this whole thing, even though none of them can tell me what was what was Trump supposed to do differently in Puerto Rico. What was what was supposed to be his, uh, you know, the actions that he would have taken that would have stopped people from uh, being unable to, uh, you know, get the medical care they needed inside of Puerto Rico. Was he supposed to send even more? Re- they couldn't get the resources they were sending to the places they were needed in the island because of logistics problems. Because the island was in such bad shape in the interior, because roads had been washed away and because there was no power. And that obviously makes the entire response a lot more difficult. But, you know, instead of using this, you know, if they were really concerned with the lives lost, and if they really wanted to make sure this would never happen again or that nothing like this would ever occur again, they would take the position that we need to do a thorough after-action report on everything that happened here on the on the federal government's response and come up with solutions. But they're not going to do that. At least that's not going to get nearly the same amount of, of attention and coverage. The primary focus here is, in fact, bashing Trump. They're just going to find a way to bash Trump in every way that they can. That's what they're trying to do. And it's it's gross, folks. We, sh- we should be willing to say that. It's really disgusting. And they're saying the President of the United States is the reason that people died. In fact, he, he has blood on his hands, if you take Joe Crowley at his word. Uh, we're going to talk about this hurricane with an expert in a, in, a, in a moment here. You know what you should do to prepare for it, and uh, and what what you should be expecting. I, I know we've got a lot of team buck in the Carolinas. Hopefully, folks, if you are near the coast, you have heeded the evacuation orders. Uh, but even if you're just in the general vicinity of the southeastern coastal U.S., you should probably be prepared for uh, the really tough weather that's coming in. Uh, so why don't we? Uh, we're we're going to talk to an expert about this. Joe Bastardi will be with us in just a moment here. Uh, So stay there, team. Hurricane Florence is fast approaching. It's going to be here over the next 48 hours. And they say it's about as big as they've seen coming to this country and certainly to the East Coast as they've ever seen. We'll handle it. We're ready. We're able. We've got the finest people, I think, anywhere in the world. FEMA and first responders are out there. They're going to stand through the danger of this storm. Get out of its way. Don't play games with it. It's a big one. Maybe as big as they've seen. And tremendous amounts of water. The storm will come. It will go. We want everybody to be safe. We're fully prepared. Food, medical, everything you can imagine. We are ready. We love you all. We want you safe. Get out of the storm's way. Be ready and God be with you. All right, so we got a big storm heading for the country. You've no doubt seen some of the news coverage of this already. I wanted to bring on an expert who can tell us just what to expect and then also what some of the narratives will be. Where does the science meet the politics in the aftermath of all this? We know that's likely to happen as well. We have Joe Bastardi with us now. He is the chief meteorologist of weatherbell.com. Joe, great to have you back on the show. Well, it's great to be here, Buck. I always love being on. 
So what everyone says, a lot of flooding, high wind, big storm. What should people in the Carolinas, by the way, we've got a, a whole lot of folks listening in the Carolinas. What should they be expecting and what should they be ground? Well, uh, in that area from Cape Lookout, uh, probably down to about Georgetown, South Carolina, but centered really uh, from the Grand Strand up to uh, Wilmington and Cape Fear, this is going to be a siege. That's that's the word I'm using uh, because you're probably going to have hurricane-force winds that are going to be impacting these areas for a couple of days around Cape Fear because this storm starts with the hurricane-force winds uh, later tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow night, and it moves so slowly that Saturday morning there may still be hurricane-force winds around Cape Fear. So uh, the, the uh, Wrightsville Beach and the constant pounding from the east um, with hurricane winds into the uh, the crescent-shaped uh, bay, Onslow Bay, and these areas, I, I can't even describe what can happen here in these coastal communities. Um, again, I don't, I don't know that you're going to see winds uh, by the time the storm uh, gets there uh, as high as, let's say, Hurricane Hazel or Hurricane Hugo. But the slow movement, the tremendous amount of rain, and plus the path of the storm, which will be uh, down the coast, instead of coming up the coast, it's going back to the southwest. It's blocked by a big upper ridge of high pressure. Well, that's going to just compound the whole situation. And this is, a, I said it back on Saturday, this is probably going to be the costliest storm in the history of the Carolinas. And that includes some great, uh, great storms like Hugo and Hazel and Isabel and Diane. And they, they have a, a, a storied past as far as major hurricanes go in this area. And, Joe, you know, for, for folks who are wondering about uh, preparation, especially for along the coast, when we're talking storm surge here, what does that really mean? I mean, how does that manifest? How bad can that get? How long can that last? Well, let's say you have a 10 to 15-foot surge. That's the, that's the water level, how high the water level will actually rise that's not the waves on top of the water level. I mean, we've got reports of 70, 80-foot waves with this offshore. So, uh, and the, uh, the, you know, even these communities like New Bern and Greenville uh, that are north on Pamlico Sound, the combination of the heavy rain coming down the river and then the, uh, the constant east wind pushing the sound back in there, all those areas get flooded too. So, you, you, you know, you cannot... You cannot possibly overestimate what this could do. In other words, if you folks are in there and you're thinking, well, you know what, I'm going to ride this out. I'm 10, 15 feet above sea level and I go out, go out power a couple of days. No, no. Well, you, you're probably going to go out power a couple of weeks. You're going to have a couple of days when the wind is incessantly pounding away at you. So it's not like, uh, you know, if you want to compare a regular storm, uh, Isabel or, or Hugo or Floyd, they move through very quickly. There's three to six hours of, you know, the crescendo of uh, very strong winds, and then it dies down and the sun comes out, and that's that. The next day you can start cleaning up. That's not going to be the case here. Now, Joe, uh, inevitably, and we're speaking to Joe Bastardi, chief meteorologist at weatherbell.com, in- inevitably this happens. There's going to be a lot of damage done. We know this. Hopefully there'll be no loss of life, uh, but there'll be a lot of damage done, and people are going to, jump right on the, oh, it's because of climate change 
bandwagon. There'll be editorials about it. There'll be people going on TV talking about it. What is your, you know, can't lose argument for folks out there that, that, that they'll be able to replicate and repeat about? Can we just stop saying every time there's a really bad weather incident or any natural disaster really these days, it's climate change? Well, why is why has, for instance, the last 50 years, the amount of major hurricanes hitting the eastern uh, hitting the United States is only 37 percent of the amount of major hurricanes that hit in the previous 50 years. That's the first thing. As far as this storm goes, why, where were these people on August 23rd where I quite publicly declared that a three-week hurricane spurt was going to come? And on September 2nd, said that this was going to come back here when it was recurring. I don't see these people showing up way before and uh, giving us any reasons for why this is happening. In other words, I set it up with nature and what nature has done in the uh, the laws of meteorology and physics and climatology, and all they do is sit back and wait until something happens. And you know what answer don't they own? It could it could snow cheese in New York City, and they'll say it's climate change. And and unfortunately, you know you get what you deserve. You reap what you sow. If if we're going to have a gullible public that won't take the time to actually look and understand what has happened in the weather history of this country and of the planet, then, uh, you know, they're going to fall for it. And, um, and these people know it. They could care less whether their reason is right. Now, not all of them, okay? I know a lot of climate scientists. I know some on the other side of the issue who I respect. I understand their argument. I look at their argument. I say, listen, I see what you're saying, but I think you're, there's much too much attribution to CO2 as opposed to the big net. You start talking about some of the journalists that are coming out and saying what they're saying. Uh, And I I mean, I was watching some interviews and listening to some interviews, and I literally couldn't watch it. And uh, again, folks, uh, if if you look at the past, I'll I'll give you an example. 1985, Hurricane Gloria was in this area. Okay, two weeks later, 10 days later, at the Northeast on September 26th. How come Gloria was stronger than this storm? a lot stronger. How come there's 10 or 15 storms that have been stronger this, than this storm in the southwest Atlantic? Is this going to be the strongest storm ever to hit the Carolinas? And even if it was the strongest storm, what makes you think that nature couldn't do that anyway? If it produced something in 1958, why can't it produce something? Yeah, that's a fair point, Joe. Joe, uh, Joe Bastardi, everybody, chief meteorologist at weatherbell.com. Check out weatherbell.com for more. Joe, really appreciate you joining us. Team, we've got much more. Stay with us. This is what life looks like, I guess, on an overheated planet. The important point with all of this, though, is that you know climate change didn't cause the hurricanes or the typhoons, but they made them worse because this is a natural disaster, which is a potentially a man-made catastrophe because of the choices we've made. Right, and in, what we're doing is interfering with the way the jet stream operates. I mean, the jet stream is the current of air that actually goes from west to east, uh, and that's why flights going west to east take a lot less time than going east to west here in the States. Normally, that jet stream uh, would push a lot of these storms back out into the open ocean, but now the jet stream's up further north than it was before, and that's because the tropical regions are actually expanding. It's a man-made catastrophe. That's right, man-made. It's a hurricane, but we made it. No, we didn't, mate. We did not make the hurricane. It is not a mad ma- man-made catastrophe. Uh, you know, we, we had that. Uh, we, we pulled that right in the in the break, actually. I, I said, Producer Mike, there's got to be. He said, oh, oh, there's CNN. 
blaming this on climate change. You know there is. Uh, it, it's so easy to find it right away. And, and I know that weather is a tough thing for news organizations to handle in some respects. What I mean by that is everybody wants to know what's going on with the weather. Not a lot of people have intelligent things to say about the weather. And so much of the 24-7 cable news cycle is speculation, as we've discussed earlier in the week, and analysis, which is generally just speculation dressed up as something else. And so they end up doing this whole climate change dance because they're trying to fill time. They're trying to make it compelling. And, and here's the, the part of this that I've, I've realized from my time in dealing with the, the mainstream media such as it is. Uh, there are some who are true believers in all this stuff. There, there are some who are uh, very much dedicated to the notion that climate change is a national security threat is the reason for all of this uh and they don't think that what they're doing is just providing these unfalsifiable uh notions of of what is going on with climate change right i mean when they say things like it doesn't cause the storm but it makes the storm worse how could you ever prove that or disprove it more more importantly how you know remember folks when some of you have asked me on this show how what what's a good way to argue with a really indoctrinated liberal? I say start from the premise of how do you disprove what it is that they believe? What would you have to provide them that would make them at least rethink what they believe in terms of evidence? And with a lot of these things, they will tell they won't actually have an answer. They'll just get angry. And because that's what happens when you challenge belief instead of challenging uh, rational thought and uh, challenging people based on facts and verifiable information. And so there are some people in, in this media climate change apparatus who are of the mind that this is real. That, but I think there's also just a lot of opportunism here, right? A, a big portion of this is really just people that realize at CNN and elsewhere that they have an audience that wants to hear the the audience wants to hear about how climate change has caused all this that they want to believe uh that there is a you know a, a bad guy here and and really that the bad guy is in fact the right the bad guy is conservatism the bad guy is uh oil companies you know all these so it's a it's a great way to get the left excited because they they immediately uh, they, they immediately get to attack a number of targets that they really dislike. And, and, and they're the, on the righteous high ground here, uh, while all the people that are saying, hold on a second, your, your climate change views are nonsensical. And, and I really mean that. They don't hold up. They, they can't be sustained based upon, never mind the facts, which is based upon an, an analysis, based upon logic. They get very, very angry. I remember once I was on and I made some joke about how uh, about how, you know, maybe if we use I was on CNN and I, I said, maybe if we use fewer aerosol cans, you know, and don't put a hole in the ozone, then liberals will calm down. It was something like that. But it was it was it was a joke. I mean, I was taking obviously taking a shot at the climate change mania and on all the which I, I know that's about CO2 and it's a different process and the ozone. But. The point is, you know, it used to be the hole in the ozone. Now it's CO2 emissions. It's, people keep coming up with different versions of, of, of the same basic premise, which is that mankind is polluting the world 
by being mankind, uh, and we're destroying the planet, and only the righteous among us who believe in hashtag science, not science, but hashtag science, can save it. And I remember I got some, uh, I can't remember if it was via Twitter or it was an email, but someone who was from some climate change think tank in D.C. wrote this, you know, how dare you weigh in on a subject of science that, like, you couldn't even begin to understand. And and I, I think I responded to the guy, you know, I just checked out your bio, and you're not a scientist. You're a PR flack. <laughs> so, I, but see, this is this is what I mean by it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the situation is, what you say to them, uh, no matter how foolish they look, they have such an incentive to push this hysteria. There's so many people whose careers depend on this and who have really, who have built followings based on the notion of climate change. And, and I also note that someone like President Obama, I, I refuse to believe that you are really that free thinking and, uh, and quite honestly, wise. I, I think it is impossible to be uh, intellectually brilliant and and also have good judgment and believe in climate change i don't think you can have those two that you can be really really smart but you can't be really really smart and have good judgment uh if you believe in climate change as a function of or as something that's going to destroy the planet as something that's going to end human life unless we take dramatic action you know this is where they always get you are you saying climate change is not real it's such a stupid argument we keep running around in circles with it because they're just hoping to denigrate the people that are pointing out that their ideas don't make any sense here, that there's no there there, that there's not any uh, there's not any means to disprove their theories, and that they're really impervious to uh, evidence. By the way, eighty foot tall wave. I just gotta think, John. I mean, could you imagine actually being out in the ocean and seeing an eighty foot tall wave? That to me is uh, wow. Uh, it, it reminds me of uh, the final scene of. Point Break, actually, where Bodie decides that he's going to go out on a on a wave by um, uh, by pushing forward, and and even though it's a you know a hundred a hundred foot wave or something, he's going to go out there and do that. So anyway, it reminds me of the end of Point Break. Eighty foot wave would be terrifying. Or also, what's the movie, John? What's the movie where the uh, they're out there in the in the boat and they just get caught in the oh the perfect storm, right? The perfect storm. That's yeah, it's pretty straight. I thought that movie. I mean, there was some cool CGI, but I don't know. It's kind of a story without much of a plot. It's like they're in a they're in a boat. They're in a big storm. Did you like it? I know it's based on a true story, but I didn't find the story all that all that compelling. I, I thought it was as these things go. I thought it was uh, you know it was all right. It was all right. What's your favorite? Do you like uh, Twister? Have you I seen never saw that Twister? One? I think you haven't seen Twister. Twister's pretty good. It's Bill Paxton. R.I.P. Bill Paxton, by the way. Uh, It's Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. I was going to say Laura Dern. I always get those two confused. Twister's pretty. Twister's a pretty good movie. So and some the problem with the the big storm disaster movies is that it's always climate change. And there's a lot of preachy stuff about that. And so I I generally don't watch them. But anyway, I'll be the I'll be the uh, 1000th person in the media to tell you today, get out of the way of the storm, folks. Be safe. Be safe. Yes, that is true. You've heard it from me. You've heard it from everybody. We're going to switch topics here in hour two. Stay with me. Don't get caught up in the purge of conservatives that's going on on some of these social media sites. Don't have to worry. Hey, hold on a second. Am I being shadow banned? 
Your opinion matters. Your insight should be shared. You should be able to find like-minded Americans and patriots to talk about whatever issues are top of your mind whenever you want and not worry about censorship or agenda. That's why you should try a new social media site called Snippy. Snippy.com allows you to post on topics, share photos, videos, whatever you like, all the functionality that you need in a social media site and none of the left-wing bias, none of the censorship or any of that nonsense. I've got my account going, snippy.com is so fun. It's such a cool place to share your thoughts. Go see for yourself. You can follow writers. You can post yourselves. Snippy.com, totally free to start your account there. Snippy.com. And also you can try the Snippy.com app on your smartphone. Check it out, team. I'll see you on Snippy.com. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Don't forget, folks, how much the Democrats are in a panic about the uh, Kavanaugh nomination. They haven't, uh, they haven't let up on this one. In fact, they, they came up today with a, a somewhat novel approach to trying to pressure uh, Sen- uh, Senator Collins uh, from voting in favor of Kavanaugh. This group has done a crowdfunding campaign that, will, that has raised a million dollars and they will donate it to uh, Collins's opponent in 2020, Senate opponent in 2020, if she votes in favor of Kavanaugh. Now, I would just say, if you think that money determines elections, go talk to the Jeb, Jeb, exclamation, Jeb. Talk to the Jeb Bush team about that, where I think they spent something like $100 million to get an electoral college vote. Not not exactly uh, lighting the world on fire with their uh, amazingness there. Uh but this is clearly a you know a, a new way of trying to put additional pressure on the senator from Maine to cast her vote against Kavanaugh. Remember, they only need a couple of defections, and this and this will actually work. You know, Democrats have already been trying this tactic of of just delay, delay, and and hope for the best. Uh, try to slow that, slow down the process. Call for an adjournment of the process. Say they need more time in the process. I mean, they're they're really doing everything and and just just seeing what they can get to stick against the wall here. They submitted, I just saw this today, 1,278 questions for the record for Kavanaugh. More than the total number, this is according to Chuck Grassley, more than the total number ever submitted since the Senate started testimony for SCOTUS picks. Democrats, folks, have put forward more questions for Kavanaugh than all the questions combined for all of the previous Supreme Court nominees that went before the Senate, according to Chuck Grassley. And they say it's not enough. They don't have the documents. Not enough there. Needs more study. Whoa. Um, So, as you know, they're, they're in hysterics. They're lying. They don't care about what's true here. They don't care about what um, is what is what is reality when it comes to Kavanaugh, which is that he's an incredibly qualified guy. He is as mainstream a, a GOPer 
as you are going to, or rather, as mainstream, a, a constitutional conservative. I'm sure he's GOP too. Let's. Why do we have to pretend like Supreme Court justices don't have politics? It's a, it's laughable. It's a nonsensical idea. Uh, but he's a perfect candidate for the court. We all know that. You know that. I know that. But the opposition to him is is truly uh, desperate and depraved. And that's why when when you look at the different things they're trying, all right, I get it, right? They don't have they don't have a leg to stand on in terms of his resume. They don't have a leg to stand on in terms of, you know, what his um, abilities are. So they're trying to find anything that they anything that they can. And that's where we got this idea that I had to deal with last week when we had the women's march, like co-president or whatever they whatever they call her, uh, Bob Bland on who was really a, a worried about her, but she's really a hysterical person and not not in the haha funny way, but somebody who's worries me about her her stability uh, based on the conversation that we had, you know, thinks that thinks that Kavanaugh is going to result in millions of women dying. That's that's a that's like pink elephants flying around the room level crazy. That's not normal. Uh, but the, the, one of the op- big opposition points to Kavanaugh has been that uh, you know, recently um, they're saying that it's you know that he said that abortion inducing drugs are the same as birth control. That birth control pills are abortion inducing drugs. And I you know I didn't sit through all three days of the hearings or whatever it was. It was countless hours. I watched a lot of it, but not all of it. So I couldn't know exactly what he said, but I knew that he wouldn't say that because nobody that I know takes that position. People oppose birth control on on religious and ethical grounds, but they don't say that birth control is abortion. That's not true. I don't know anybody who says that, that preventing conception is the same thing from terminating conception, which means terminating life. That would be illogical. That, that doesn't actually make any sense. Um, and you would think that this would just be a tactic that the activists and the dishonest left would engage in as, as, a, as a clear smear tactic. But, you know, this is not something that you would have to uh, worry about beyond that, meaning that, that it wouldn't get to the level of, oh, well, some of the biggest voices in the Democratic Party would echo this just blatantly false claim that Kavanaugh said that birth control pills are abortion-inducing drugs. Uh, this claim, by the way, has already been looked at by PolitiFact. Uh, they, well, I know that these, these are generally not organizations that you can just trust on this because they are, they are political in their own ways. But just keep in mind, Politica, PolitiFact referred to the claim that uh, Kavanaugh says that it's abortion and Kamala. Well, hold on, I'll get there. That abortion inducing drugs and birth control are the same as false. The Washington Post has come out and said four Pinocchios. I mean, this is pants on fire level falsehood. And yet, despite all that, you have Kamala Harris, who is still thought of, I think, as a preeminent Democrat, for the 2020 election, I still think people think of, of her as probably the most uh, the most likely presidential candidate just by default right now. And uh, Kamala Harris tweeted out an 11 second clip in which Kavanaugh said filling out the form would make them complicit in the provision of abortion inducing drugs that they were as a religious matter objected objected to. Um, and then Kavanaugh, uh, Kavanaugh chooses his words very carefully. And this is a dog whistle for going after birth control. Harris tweeted, 
He was nominated for the purpose of taking away a woman's constitutionally protected right to make her own health care decisions. Make no mistake, this is about punishing women. I mean, just just scaremongering and, and idiocy from Harris. But she's not alone. If there's a giant falsehood to be peddled, if there's a huge lie to be foisted upon people, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton can be counted on. She writes uh, on her Twitter account today, I want to be sure we're all clear about something that Brett Kavanaugh said in his confirmation hearings last week. He referred to birth control pills as abortion-inducing drugs. That set off a lot of alarm bells for me, and it should for you too. Folks, not only did he not refer to birth control pills as abortion-inducing drugs, he was referring to the position of a plaintiff in a case. So he was saying this is what their position was and then said it. This would be like saying that, you know, you, you get me to say something. You know, I, I, I say the words, you know, I'm, I'm not a Republican. And I say, you know, I'm not a Republican. Who would say that about me, guys? That's crazy. But then they just take out, well, Buck said he's not a Republican. Well, yeah, I was making a joke or I was referring to the fact that anybody who says that about me doesn't know anything about me. Well, well you said it. Buck Sexton says not a Republican. I mean, this is the height of dishonesty. This isn't a little lie. This isn't a little exaggeration. This is a giant lie. Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, they are liars, according to the Washington Post, according to PolitiFact, according to friendly media outlets that just know you can't justify this. It's a lie. And on a really important issue, on a Supreme Court justice's honor and integrity and should or would be Supreme Court justice, should he be elevated to the bench? And these are people that want to lecture us, you know, Harris and Clinton about Trump's lies and about how we need to bring back honesty and decency and integrity in our politics and blah, blah, all that crap. But they're liars. Do you think Jake Tapper is going to bring them on a CNN show and say, hey, are you a liar? Because this is a lie. I don't think so. Guarantee you he won't. Guarantee you he won't. How do I know that? Well, because I know the politics and I know who the frauds are. Do you think that uh, Maddow and the MSNBC crew are going to have them on and challenge them on this? Nope, because this lie is useful to the left, and therefore they're okay with it. I will go and take Trump out tonight. I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Of course I want to punch him in the face. Right. In a cabinet, in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, and you push back on them, and you tell them they're Please, get up in the face of some Congress people. I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. I've come around the table and he's coming at me. So I grab him, threw him on the ground. His shirt got ripped, his beer mug busted. I got off of him and that's when he jumped up and pulled the knife out and said he's going to kill me. You know, folks, we get a lot of lectures from the left about how their violent rhetoric uh, or the violent rhetoric, rather, of of Donald Trump and the things that he says and and just the way that he talks is going to create violence and that it's going to be on our heads and, you know, we should be so concerned about this. We're always being told this, right? The, the left is constantly uh, pounding this theme of violence uh, is the fault of Republicans it, because of because of the uh, Donald Trump presidency that's going to be violence in the streets. Meanwhile... Whenever there's actual violence to speak of, it, it seems much more likely than not that if it's ideologically motivated and has to do with American politics, it comes from the left. Uh, the, the single 
most horrific incident of politically inspired violence in this country in recent memory involved a Bernie Sanders supporter in Alexandria, Virginia, showing up to a baseball diamond where there was a congressional baseball team practice going on and who tried to kill a a number of members of the Freedom Caucus. I mean, he went after the most conservative members of Congress and tried to engage in a mass assassination. And he was a Bernie Sanders supporter. He was a Democrat. All right. And that story just has you never hear it referenced by the media. It's fallen off the fallen off the radar entirely. You know, if it had been a guy in a MAGA hat uh, and, you know, wearing camo head to toe and, a, you know, a Second Amendment supporter and he had showed up there and tried to kill a bunch of Democrat members of Congress, we'd hear about this every week. I mean, th- there would be memorials sprouting up all over the country. You know, there, there'd be all kinds of stuff. And this is what I, this is what we see with the media bias and, and the way that it affects the conversation that's going on all the time. But, you know, we have another, another incident here where a guy named Farzad Fazel or Fazeli is accused of trying to attack a Republican congressional candidate uh, named Rudy Peters. You just heard from there with the, with a soundbite with a switchblade. All right, they're, they're, this this guy went after a Republican congressional candidate at a festival in Castro Valley, um, and the man approached Rudy Peters, according to the LA Times here, at his booth, made disparaging remarks, and then you know he pulled out a switchblade and tried to stab Peters, but the knife malfunctioned and a struggle ensued. Folks, this guy basically tried to kill a Republican congressional candidate try to stab him to death in in you know broad daylight and view of other people how many of you have even seen this story how many of you have heard this story on the news i'm i'm guessing very few of you and you know this is the game that they always play on the left i'm not saying it gets no coverage i'm saying it gets low coverage meaning that this is not viewed as indicative of anything this is not viewed as a as a case that we all need to focus on because it tells us, you know, more about the reality of contemporary American politics or something, right? This is just, oh, you know, just some crazy guy. Some crazy guy that tried to stab a, 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 a GOP congressional candidate to death with a knife. We all know this guy's a liberal tried to stab him, right? We all know that this is uh, yet another case of somebody with, with the Trump derangement syndrome who, at least that's based on the reporting I've seen, what we know. I haven't seen anything to suggest otherwise. I don't think he knew this guy. Uh, you know, he says, and um, producer Mike, what's this other story about a a professor who, because of Trump, t- t- tell me the backstory on this one, because you brought this one to my attention. Yeah, a, uh, a, it says a longtime uh, college of Southern Nevada sociology professor, professor um, shot himself in the arm in protest of President Trump, and now he's facing uh, felony gun charges. He did it Hold on, on a second, yeah. He did it on he, campus uh, in the second day of classes. So, as kind of the way that you know, the, there were there were monks during Vietnam who did self immolation to protest. You know, the, <laughs> this guy is lighting himself. I mean, this guy is not lighting himself fire. This guy is shooting himself in the arm with a shotgun to protest Trump. Correct. He's a pro- college professor who did this, and now he's now he's facing prison time for a felony gun charge. Mike. It, if we were trying to find a a way to describe the symptoms of clinical Trump derangement syndrome, could we do a better job than this? Self-harm 
yeah, as a form of of Trump opposition, as a form of criticism of Trump. I think this is about as clear as it gets. It's amazing, and 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 there's been like three or four stories in the last twenty four to forty eight hours. Of there was another story. Did you hear about uh, DC McAllister? No, uh, she put out a tweet the other day uh, about her um, views on abortion. And she was threatened with rape and strangling, and now she had to go into hiding. My God. That's an example. Another example is, I think I saw this in either the Daily Mail or Daily Wire, of a Dem socialist who threatened a mass shooting at a MAGA event. You know, I I just feel like, Mike, if this were happening on the other side, we'd be be hearing a lot more about it. Uh You know, I, I can tell you this much. Imagine the outcry... If a Democrat congressional candidate had had somebody pull out a knife and try to stab them and and it was clear that it was a a Trump supporter, we Mm -hmm. would not only would we be hearing about everywhere, you would have every White House reporter asking the White House, do you think that do you think that you're that President Trump's rhetoric, Mm -hmm. you know, Sarah Sanders, do you think President Trump's rhetoric is the reason for this? You know, do you do you denounce violence? I mean, (laughs) they, they would try to tie it to the administration right away. You're seeing none of that with the crazy left wing opposition. And that's why we played some of those sound bites coming in of people saying crazy, violent stuff about this administration. And they still think that that we're the bad guys. You know, they think we're the ones destroying democracy and we're the ones who are are promoting violence over politics. Meanwhile, if you look at the, the data and what's really happening, it's the deranged left. That's that's they're they're the dangerous ones. I mean, I think this this couldn't be any more clear. And shoot yourself in the arm to protest Trump? Can, can I read you the, the tweet real quick from the anonymous Twitter account about this at this MAGA event? Yeah, of course. It was from a Democrat socialist, a far-left political group. Um, it says, I am coming with a gun, and I expect to get numerous bloodstained MAGA hats as trophies. Oh, my gosh. Yes. What a maniac. Do they have this guy in custody already? Well, I don't. The police, it says police responded to the Trump International Hotel where the event was taking place. Um, I didn't see if they had anybody in custody yet. All right. I mean, you know, tw- Twitter is really bad, by the way, about sharing information about people that are that are violent threats and stuff. Twitter Twitter gets very cagey. You know, they'll they'll ban you for having like too ardent a pro life stance, but they, you know, if you're threatening to kill somebody and like rape their whole family, Twitter, you know, if you're a conservative, Twitter doesn't really take take action. I think Twitter should have a here, here's something. I think Twitter should have a policy where. If you are are really threatening violence against somebody, and you know, and you get you get warned, and you don't stop. They should just out the person. They should say this is their IP address. That would shut it down real fast. Twitter can do that. They they're a private company. They they're under no obligation to protect the anonymity. I think the same is true for all these social media companies. They're under no obligation to protect the anonymity of somebody that's clearly a menace. You know, people who are stalkers, harassers, threatening violence. You know, the, the terrible stuff that you see. By the way, the tent, you know, a lot of it comes from left. Not all, unfortunately. I've had some friends who are, uh, you know, who are never Trumpers, who have also been the targets of some really horrific stuff, which is, which is a shame and should never happen. But uh, I, I think social media companies should just out people that are that are a menace on social media. You know, if you're if you're gonna if you're not gonna put your name to it, but you think you're gonna use these things as a weapon to go after people, I think they should put a stop to that. Uh, team, we got much more. Stay with me. 
Do you have opinions that you feel like you can't express? I think we all do. Are you looking for a place to stir up some conversations? Let your thoughts and your opinions be heard. I want to introduce you to an alternative social media site, Snippy.com. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without any suppression from administrators. Check in for a quick update about current events or spend hours scrolling through users' posts. Write your thoughts and strike up conversations. Snippy's founders have intentionally created a forum where anyone can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything really. It's a place where discussion is valued, a place where your opinion matters, and it's totally free. Go to snippy.com now to express yourself. No shadow banning, no character limit, no suppression of conservative thought ever. Check out the website at snippy.com or download the app. No censorship, no agenda. Join snippy.com to get the discussion rolling. Norm McDonald. You guys remember him, the comedian? I'll be honest with you, I never really thought he was all that funny. Some people love him. I, I know people that think that Norm McDonald is, is a genius. I, I was never much of a fan. Uh, but he is not even really, I don't, I don't think people would say he's a conservative. He is just irreverent. He's a comedian. Oh, my gosh. He's a comedian. He doesn't play to what all the expectations are of political correctness. Uh, Norm Macdonald's gotten into some trouble, folks. And the Tonight Show has canceled him in response to uh, to his comments. Let me let me bring you into this story. Another moment of Me Too backlash. Not that Norm Macdonald did anything to any lady. No, 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 he's not. It's just his comments about Me Too got him into trouble, right? So he he's kind of Me Too collateral damage or, you know, he's Me Too secondary damage here. He, he didn't do anything to any woman. Um, he said he supports Me Too, but then he went on to say, according to The Hollywood Reporter, first of all, he said, I'm completely behind the Me Too movement. Um, but he had said that Comments earlier on about uh, Roseanne Barr and Louis C.K. That's what got him in trouble. He said essentially, you know, Roseanne Barr was crying constantly after what happened to her and her life was ruined. And Louis C.K., you know, he was shunned from the public square and, you know, he was ruined. And he said something like, quote, the victims didn't have to go through that. Now, in the in the Roseanne Barr situation, uh, I mean, the, the victims are just people that have heard a a, a racist comment. I, I have to say, I don't know if Roseanne is, in fact, so uh, out of it that she would have said what she said, not realizing that Valerie Jarrett was African-American. That was later on her her um, not excuse, but her at least mitigation. She said she wasn't that she wasn't making a, a racist slur about Valerie Jarrett because she didn't know Valerie Jarrett was African-American. Is Roseanne Barr obtuse enough to really for that to be true? I, I mean, may, maybe. Uh, but nonetheless, it was something that was a very it was a very, uh, very stupid thing to say. Um, but Norm Macdonald essentially said, look, I'm all about me, too. But people need to understand the uh, the reality here of what happens to people who get caught in some of this. And Roseanne is not a Me Too thing, by the way. I don't know why she's kind of getting... It's really just political correctness. I mean, Me Too shouldn't be used as a uh, as a cudgel beyond the realm of men who are sexually harassing women, right? Me Too shouldn't just be anything, but it's, it's go, it is becoming that. 
know, now any political correctness, any marginalized group that feels like they've, you know, they've been uh, in some ways undermined or you know treated poorly by public comments, they claim that the Me Too mantle as well, because this is for brand purposes, for advertisers and sponsors, all this Me Too stuff is very powerful. But so Norm Macdonald says, hey, you know, Lucy Kay and Roseanne, you know, just so you know, they didn't kill anybody and, and their lives were ruined over this stuff. Uh, and Norm Macdonald got the hammer dropped on him as a result of this. He got uh, pushed out of his uh, very publicly from his Tonight Show appearance. And he's got a new series coming out on Netflix. So he was trying to, um, you know, he, he was trying to promote that. That's why he was going to go on it. And, you know, th- this is just another example here, folks, of how you, you got to be so careful. I mean, here's a comedian who's trying to have a somewhat nuanced conversation about, you know, the impact of this movement and what it means. And, and, and really what it just means is we're in a period of heightened, of heightened sensitivity to something, which we all know will be exploited by some people in some ways. One of the most interesting, one of the most revealing exchanges I had with Alyssa Milano, who is kind of the Me Too movement founder uh, or is a founder, considered a founder of the Me Too movement, even though she's never shared her own story about uh, her her Me Too, uh, you know, backstory. Well, she brought up Aziz Ansari. Some of you know Aziz Ansari from the show Parks and Rec, right? He's a funny guy. He's a, you know, American, but of Indian parentage and you know, he had some uh, young woman who's a photographer who, you know, clearly had some kind of celebrity crush on him based on the story that I read. And they went out on a date and, you know, they just jumped right into right into a highly sexualized encounter. And she essentially wrote a ew, he's icky and I don't like him. And he was being kind of gross uh, tell all about this. What was a, essentially a one night stand. And people were saying, well, that's me, too. And I, and I was sitting here and I'm saying, well, no, it's not, you know, maybe he's kind of being a creepy guy, but it wasn't me, too. He didn't force her. He didn't abuse her. He didn't use his position of power. But Alyssa, in Alyssa Milano's view, apparently, oh, no, because he's a celebrity and leverage that to gain greater you know, sexual access by her with her consent. But to this this young woman. You know, that's kind of me. Too. I don't know. Whoa, that's I don't think of that as me too at all. So there are these these areas of it where it crosses into. Hold on a second. Is that that's now covered? You know, is is an unwanted attempt at, at kissing a woman uh, in the workplace or not in the workplace? I mean, assume, assuming she doesn't work for you, she's not your employee. But, you know, if you have a colleague, is that that's a me too thing now? I mean, you start to wonder where are some of these lines? Uh, and I think we do draw them in very different places. But Norm Macdonald was trying to have that conversation. And he got into all he got in all kinds of trouble because of it, uh, because people don't they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that there's any uh, any concern here. They don't want to hear about um, how, you know, maybe there's some people that are going to abuse this for their own purposes. You better stay. You better just uh, better be somebody who toes the line on this or else you're going to be in a world of trouble. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to find there was one quote. He's essentially repeating what I've said uh, many times before to all of you. And I'm, I'm trying. Ah, it's uh, I'm, I'm losing. Darn it, Buck. I, oh, here it is. Here it is. I found it. Um, he said that. 
the the model used to be here we go the model used to be admit wrongdoing show complete contrition and then we give you a second chance now it's admit wrongdoing and you're finished and so the only way to survive is to deny 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 that's not healthy that there is no forgiveness and i do think at some point that it adds to our uh tribalism um or this contributes to why everyone is so tribalistic. Absolutely true from Norm MacDonald. A very astute observation. This is the real change, folks. This is what's so different now, is that you have a situation where, you know, anytime you get uh, caught up now, anytime you, you have transgressed, you, if you admit it, there's no upside. You're just going to be chased out of the public square. You're going to be told that you're, uh, your career is over. You are no longer entitled to any kind of uh, second chance or opportunity to rebuild your career. Oh, no. Uh, wh- what's going to happen is they're going to use your confession. It's like, it's like an inquisition, right? They're going to use your confession against you. And that is new. That is new. I remember, I'm trying to think of some examples where, you you, you know, I remember Alec Baldwin back in the day saying, uh, kind of an, an anti-gay slur. And I remember the Jonah Hill, the kind of pudgy comedy actor guy, he he did the same. And you'd see people and they'd make this apology tour and they kind of go around on all the shows they go on, you know, the daytime talk shows that go on Ellen, that go on Oprah, they go and, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. And that's not who I am. And they'd kind of lay low for a few weeks and then everybody would let it go. And I thought that that, that process of just the public humiliation uh, that, that you have to go through as part of the penance for a, a politically correct trans uh, transgression. Right? I'm not talking about people that have actually assaulted people and done criminal stuff. I mean, you just say the wrong thing and you got to go out there and, and do the whole apology tour situation. You know, I, I thought that was bad enough. Now it's worse than that because you're supposed to do the apology tour and then at the and then you're 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 still completely out you know you're you're no longer somebody that anybody can talk to or give jobs to or trust or anything so so norm mcdonald is is the latest to uh to get caught up in this one sure enough he's here's a comedian folks who's supposed to be pushing boundaries and and uh he's supposed to be trying to not just make us laugh but make us think about things i mean comedy is a very powerful force satire is an incredibly potent way of of dealing with political issues, dealing with social issues, uh, and a and a really a really necessary one. You know, I mean, I I think to really be in a free society, you have to be able to make fun of things that are considered sacred. I, I do think that's a, a pretty fundamental freedom. And and for and he wasn't even trying to make fun of anything. He was just trying to talk about the culture. Uh, here, here's a comedian talking about the culture of intolerance for people saying anything intolerant and he gets nailed for saying something intolerant. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. He's just, you know, he's just trying to, uh, trying to add to the discourse in his own way. And he ends up paying, paying the penalty for it. Uh, and I, I just think it's a shame. I mean, you know, this is why, this is why comedians these days, by the way, aren't funny. You can't be funny. You got to be Kathy Griffin. You've got to do this terrible thing. She, this terrible stunt she pulled by, you know, having the, the Trump severed head and then cashing in on that and going around and giving a tour all over the world where I mean, she's just not funny. She's like a neurotic, annoying, stupid, 
crazy person who says things about politics that are kind of in joke form, but they're not funny. It's not clever. It's not amusing. Uh, and you see this with so many comedians. That's why I'm saying the left has killed comedy. The left has made comedy uh, at least an endangered species, if not extinct. Because if you are always going to be under threat of having your career ended, if you uh, if you say anything that that offends certain groups, you know you're you're never going to be able to push any boundaries and do things that are unexpected and that really make people think. So it's just a, it's just a shame. It really is. By the way, the uh, I, I see this other guy. Another guy got caught up in the Me Too. Uh, Producer Mike, what's his name? The 60 Minutes guy. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'll uh, all right. A, a senior, a senior executive at at 60 Minutes, the hallowed news, uh, you know, journalism show. We'll, we'll talk about this in, ju- in just a moment, but but he's out. Now, folks, I was talking to you about somebody who got caught up in a in a Me Too discussion moment, right? Didn't actually do anything Me Too, but you had Norm Macdonald. I, I was being a little hard on him before. He's done some funny stuff, I guess. I've never seen his stand-up, to be fair. I just have seen him on on SNL. And, uh, but, but Norm Macdonald talking about Roseanne and, uh, and Louis C.K., you know, he, he got himself into trouble. But that doesn't, you know, that, that shouldn't take away from the fact that this whole this period of, of outing these really gross predatory uh, media executives has been very clarifying. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of good that's come from all this. You know, I think it's a very good thing that people know the truth about Charlie Rose, that people know the truth about, um, uh, you know, go, go down, the, go down the list of all these different people. I'm actually forgetting the name of the guy. Who's the super overpaid more, you know, uh, today show guy. Uh, Matt Lauer, you know, Matt Lauer and, and Charlie Rose and and certainly some of them you cross over in, into the truly criminal area uh, with people like Harvey Weinstein. But another one is out at at 60 Minutes, CBS 60 Minutes. Uh, his name is Jeff Fager. And this I just thought this was pretty fascinating. So there were all these uh, allegations printed about Fager. And again, he's a very powerful news executive. And the news business, folks, is so ripe for this kind of abuse. I see it all the time. You have old, generally unattractive, socially awkward men in positions of executive authority. All right. You have a lot of that going on. And you have an influx of lots and lots of very attractive women, because in this business, that is a major advantage. Right. I know. I don't know if it feels weird to even say that. Oh, to be pretty and to be on TV, it's it's an advantage. But it's true. And and a lot of these guys try to leverage their positions into, you know, into uh, entree. It's a very euphemistic way of saying it uh, with these women, right, of getting access to these women, you know, sexually in one way or another. Uh, And this guy Fager was the subject of one of these one of these profiles in the uh, I think it was in The New Yorker. Right. Um, And. By the way, this guy was the executive producer. Wow, executive producer of sixty minutes. Um, that's a that's a that's a pretty big job. So he's out now, and and this is what he said though. This is his statement: "Quote: The company's decision had nothing to do with the false allegations printed in the New Yorker. Instead, they terminated my contract early because I sent a text message to one of her own CBS reporters demanding that she be fair in covering the story. My language was harsh." And despite the fact that journalists receive harsh demands for fairness all the time, CBS did not like it. 
One such note should not result in termination after 36 years, but it did. Wow, this guy was there for 36. This guy's been at CBS as long as I've been alive. That is that is quite a... I can't imagine being 36 years anywhere. I can't imagine being alive 36 years. It still feels like forever to me. Uh, but he, he, here we are with this guy saying that essentially he sent a nasty text message and that was why he was fired. Folks, I, I just don't find this... This credible at all. Uh, my guess is that this was the pretext that they, you know, that, that this text message was enough to not renew his contract and push him out now uh, because that's easier for them than to have to go through the whole, oh, you know, is is he guilty of these different accusations? And I see some journalists, uh, this one journalist from New York Magazine wrote, quote, a victory for the women who have lived under Fager's tyranny for years, a truly horrible Nasty human being. That's uh, Yashar Ali at New York Magazine. Uh, you know, these. so you got Jeff Fager. Um, uh, what's his what, The guy from, uh, gosh, I'm for, Les Moonves, another one. I mean, you start to wonder how many really powerful liberal, by the way, folks, Democrats, these are all... FOBs and FO Hills, friends of friends of Bill and friends of Hill, uh, Hillary Clinton. These are friends of Barack Obama. These are all big libs in the media. You need to remember that because they won't focus on it. Fager, uh, Moonves, Weinstein, Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer, liberal, liberal, liberal. All these guys are huge libs. Uh, and and, you know, they went when Fox was having its trouble with some of its own sexual misconduct that had gone on there. All these outlets just piled on. And and now you're seeing that the, that the very top of these places is just rotted with sexual harassers and predators. So it's interesting to see how this plays out. It'll continue to play out. We've got Big Hour 3 coming up, team. Stay with me. If you're running a business and you need to bring in some new hires or if you own property and you want to lease it out to somebody that you can trust, who's got a good history of paying on time, no lawsuits, no problems, you need Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. They are headquartered in Chicago and their risk mitigation experts are simply the best in the business. Whatever size company that you are talking about here, folks, whether you're a startup or a Fortune 100 company, reach out to Global Verification and talk to them about being your background investigation company because they will make sure that you get all the individual attention you need. They'll make sure that your cases are processed quickly and accurately. And if there's any questions, they'll address them right away. Go to mygvn.com, that's mygvn.com, or call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. So many leaks, so little time, team. We know that the uh, the deep staters over DOJ and FBI have been busy for a long time trying to stack the deck in their favor in terms of public opinion. When it comes to uh, Russia collusion stuff, when it comes to the FISAs on Carter Page, we've got somebody now who's doing the work of actually getting to the truth on all this stuff. We have Lee Smith with us now. 
He is a an investigative reporter for Real Clear Investigations. He's got a really strong piece up called Decoding the Drips of Leak Upon Anti-Trump Leak. It is on Real Clear Politics right now. Lee, great to have you back. Thanks very much for having me, Buck. It's uh, always terrific to be with you. All right, so let's talk about this, my friend. We, we got we got leaks uh, coming out. Uh, the, the text yeah. messages earlier in this week between Strzok and Page talk about a leak strategy. Right. I got yeah. people saying, oh, no, it's a leak strategy for how to deal with the bad, naughty right. media leaks. I'm like, well, I was in the CIA. We, we had a pretty well-understood leak strategy, which is don't leak. So yeah, right. I, I, that's, th- right. that's my first reaction. But you've actually dug into the details here. What do we need to know about what these FBI DOJ folks were doing, how they were leaking, who they were leaking to? Yeah, the, w- the, way, that I'm, the way that I'm trying to describe it now is it's kind of uh, it's sort of like a – you can best, best understand it in terms of a football game. Now the new football season opening up, maybe that's the best way to understand it. I think that after, um, after uh, Trump won the White House – what we see is a very active campaign of leaks, an attacking campaign of leaks, um, prosecuting a campaign against Trump. They're trying to hurt different Trump team officials. They knock Flynn out. They sideline sessions. They damage other people. The larger strategic gain is that they have the, uh, the Trump team in chaos trying to establish their agenda. They can't because they're always they're playing defense the entire time defending against these accusations of Russia collusion and all this nonsense. At a certain point, about a year into the administration, um, House oversight committees start pushing back. And that way, the uh, team collusion is put on the defensive. So what we're seeing now also, you know, a lot of um, a lot of Obama holdovers and never Trump Republicans leave, start to leave the administration. Remember all the different people who've left. FBI and DOJ. So there are actually less people, uh, less people who have access to classified intelligence to leak. And also, again, the House Oversight Committees are now pushing back. They're seeing the bad things that the FBI and DOJ and other figures did to damage uh, and dirty the Trump campaign. So that's how I see the momentum changing. And the the really big moment is when House Oversight, uh, House Oversight Committees uh, discover that it was the their pressure they pressured um, they pressured fusion into releasing the fact that or leaking the fact that they had been funded by the Clinton campaign and DNC and that's in October 2017 so that's a key turning point right there. Now they're saying, of course, that uh, that everything was by the book. I mean, I- I'm kind of amazed, Lee, that this that this. Yeah. This approach continues from from people that are supportive. As we know, this is all about getting Trump right. I mean, the people that are generally very anti law enforcement all of a sudden are running around and acting like, you know, the FBI can do no wrong. And the the DOJ, which, you know, under Republican administration is all about the patriarchy, the power structure and discrimination. (laughs) Now the DOJ is blameless. Uh, The DOJ is beyond reproach. Right. Now, we know it's all about politics, but. You know, what's it going to take before they no longer are able to play this game of, yeah, you know, everything. I mean, Strzok got fired. We have text messages between him and Paige saying, one, they're going to stop Trump. Two, uh, from this week, saying that they need a a, a leak strategy. You know, is is do you see a smoking gun that is kind of out there? You just haven't gotten it yet. I mean, is what's it going to take? I mean, 
I think that one of the things we're looking at right now, I mentioned in my article a couple of these recent pieces in the New York Times about FBI and CIA operations against uh, against Russia. Both pieces I find pretty implausible. But the important thing about these, I think these stories were uh, crafted partly using classified intelligence, also depending an awful lot on fiction, uh, creative imagination. Um, And the purpose of these is to push back, uh, to try to deter Trump from declassifying the documents that congressional Republicans are asking for right now. And should Trump declassify those documents, as I believe we all hope he did, we all hope that he does for the. I'm hearing as soon as next week for my people, by the way. So, yeah, that that would be that. that, Thank goodness. I hope it does happen, man. Um, But that's what I think they're trying to do. I think they're trying to push back on that and they're trying to shape a more positive environment. Um, with these different leaks and these different stories coming out now. So we, if that does happen next week, Buck, that would be fantastic. I think then we're, we've gone a long way toward clarifying a lot of the bad stuff that's gone on the last two years here. Now, I, I got to say, there have been leaks that we know of in the press that yeah. almost certainly come from classified information, right? You had the yeah. leak about General Flynn's phone call. Yeah. You know, nobody could, that, that's going to be classified. I mean, and, and he got in trouble for it. Right. So I mean, we know that was classified. Somebody yeah. leaked that and, and Flynn got jammed up a, as a result right. of it. We have not seen, and I think it's so interesting, uh, under the Obama administration, classified leaks were, right. were, I would say overzealously prosecuted. I mean, they they were they were doing everything. They were pulling phone records of journalists. They were threatening to uh, yeah. put journalists under oath to outsources. Right. In fact, they 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 did do well. They were, took that right to the edge, and then they ended up sending out of prison anyway. Uh, but all, all that was going on. Meanwhile, Lee, we have nobody getting yeah. sent to prison that I know of right now for a classified leak, with the exception yeah. of one. Senate, uh, Senate uh, Select Committee on Intelligence Staffer, who's been charged. But that's it. Well, but they, they haven't even charged him for leaking classified intelligence, though it appears he did. They have him for lying to the FBI. So while Attorney General Sessions says that there are 27 open leak investigations, including what I've heard people call the granddaddy of them all, which is, as you said, the, 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 the leak of the Flynn conversation with the Russian ambassador, um, as far as I know, look, the, the DOJ may be investigating all of them or um, John Huber, the, uh, you know, the uh, prosecutor in Utah may be investigating them. But I think that we'd like to see something happening about these. And what we see here is these are it's not just leaking classified intelligence which is a very serious thing. And you can describe better than certainly much better than I can that this is a, this is a, a crime. And we see these, these are not whistleblowers, right? These are not people who are calling out bad things. These are people who are leaking to prosecute a political campaign against the elected president. That, that, that I think, the combination of breaking the law and for what purpose? To prosecute a campaign of political warfare. I think it's very bad, and I entirely agree. I think we need to get to the bottom of this. And uh, the people who have been breaking the law need to be caught. Where are you heading next with your uh, with your reporting here, Lee? What what's the what? I mean, I, I know you're investigative reporter, yeah. so you probably can't really tell us all that right. much. But no, I mean, no, what no, what I'm, are you I'm still trying to get answers to? Um, I think that the uh, I, I think that what we're learning more and more about uh, about the ores is especially is especially interesting. Um, I think that the more and more we know about that, 
I think we might be getting closer and closer to the uh, the, the 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 kernel of what actually what actually happened here, how this whole relationship went on between Fusion GPS, the press, uh, the FBI, and DOJ. So I, I think that's a very important thing for 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 all of us to be looking at and see how that. Well, do, do you have a working theory, that. by the way, as to what really, how did this whole thing start? There's this notion of yeah. Trump and Russia and, right. and you know, Trump associates that need to be surveilled because they, they've changed the story. I know they said they haven't. They have. Yeah, they've, yeah. You know, it was Carter Page then it was Papadopoulos right. and now it was before right. both of them and then it was after both of them. And who knows what you, what's your working theory as to how this actually yeah. got going? That's a very that's a very good question. I mean, I, I I try to respond to what we you know what we can find out. I, I'll say one thing, which has struck me for quite a while. I and you and I may have spoken about this before. I, I continue to find it remarkable that they had an open counterintelligence investigation open on Michael Flynn, a retired three-star general who was also former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency. So that that tells me two things. That tells me first of all. This was a real third world operation. The idea that they had a, co- a counterintelligence investigation open on a former spy chief. I think that's bad enough in itself. But also this, uh, I, I mean, it, it, it appears that this goes back, that this, uh, that this goes back quite a while. I mean, this was, they, they started looking at, they started looking at Flynn after the, uh, you know, after his dinner with Putin um, I guess that was December 2015. So uh, again, I, I I I don't want to speculate too much, but I think if we look at all the different people who've been named here, whether it was Carter Page or Paul Manafort, I I, I find the fact that Michael Flynn was someone that the the FBI w- uh, was looking at, I, I I find that astonishing, and I find it very significant. And also, I find it important when trying to explain to people how this whole Russiagate thing is a hoax. Asked them to explain how do you possibly rationalize they had a counterintelligence investigation open on Michael Flynn, a retired three-star general, or just who has still you know n- never been the only crime that he's ever even been whispered about being involved in was lying about not committing any crimes. So right, you know, which right. which as we know they they can do to anybody. But but Lee, stay on it, man. Next time you got another big a big piece out, we'd love to have you on. Lee Smith, everybody, Real Clear Investigations, and you can follow him on Twitter as well. Lee, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Buck. I really appreciate it. Team, we've got more. I want to tell you about what's going on at a school that embraced social justice a little too much. An update on Evergreen State College. Remember that school that had the uh, day of absence for white people? Turns out that that wasn't exactly... Well, it it didn't have the intended effect for how the rest of the country views that school. We'll we'll get into some of that coming up. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes. And brace yourselves because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. You know, folks, everything is stored online these days, including your home's title. And that means that domestic and international cyber thieves have a really easy time of getting access to your stuff. What they do in a home title theft situation is take you off your home's title, replace you with an alias. Then they borrow every penny they can and they use your home's equity and stick you with the payments. You won't know anything about it until you get the late payment notices. Don't let this happen to you. By the way, identity theft programs don't protect you, but Home Title Lock does. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my family's home. 
Register now and get a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $100 value, folks, for free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. So I'm going to tell you about the Evergreen State College in a moment here, but for, but first there, there's a there's a new iPhone out. Producer Mike is telling me, you know, I, I just I just got one by the way, which means that there has to be a new one that comes out because I'm always behind the times on this stuff. I, I always get it wrong. Mike is 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 the new? Are you one of these people that camps out on the street for the iPhones? Like, do you get that excited about this stuff? Or no John, way, man. either of you? No way. I'm not one of those what, people. What is that all about? I, have no I don't idea, understand man. that. I don't know. I sometimes I look at him. I'm like, you must not have a job. But then I'm like, you must have a job because you're spending money on an iPhone. So I don't know. It, it baffles me. It baffles me too, man. But the new one coming out, isn't it kind of the? It's like an iPhone 10, but it's a cheaper iPhone 10, but it's a better iPhone. I don't know. There's don't a understand. few different things. Well, they dropped three new iPhones today: the XR, the XS, and the XS Max. Uh, pricing structure, I mean, them, they're all no expensive, but they did, they raised the prices on some of their old iPhones, but then dropped the prices on others, so I don't, I don't know exactly which ones are which, but the ones that they released today apparently have the, uh, it's the largest screen to date, like the XS has the, is the largest screen size to date, um, but the phone is the same size as their old, um, you know, 6S pluses. Nice. Well, so. another device for us all to pretend we're doing work on when we're really just scrolling through social media. There we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so, so guys, that Evergreen State College, that's the place where they had the uh, the day of, I don't, I don't know how many of you remember this. This was a while ago. This got a lot of attention because it was just so crazy. They had a day of absence where they wanted white people to just not go to school. It was, hey, hey, white people, stay home today. We need to have a day without you. And what's what's one of the things that's really astonishing about that? That was back in 2017. Was how many people went along with it? They're like, yeah, sure. No, no white people allowed today. Sure, I'm just not going to go to school. Uh, but there was one professor who's now become a uh, part of the. I think he's considered one of these dark web intellectuals. Or not dark web. What do you? Is it uh, the intellectual dark web? I think that's what they call it. Yeah. yeah, he's one of these guys out there. He's up there with like Jordan Peterson and some of the others who. They're considered uh, revolutionaries because they have thoughts about things that you're not allowed to have thoughts about. That that's that's the way we're going now, especially on college campuses, as you know. But at Evergreen, uh, Brett, uh, Eric Weinstein, I think was his was his name, right? Uh, Eric Weinstein's. Is, I'm sorry, no, Brett Weinstein. I don't know why that was Eric Weinstein. Brett Weinstein is this professor who said, you know what? I'm not really cool with the whole. Not going to not going to school thing because we're having a a day of no white people, and he got hammered for that. Uh, people were saying that he was a he was a racist and he doesn't understand and he's just he's just wallowing in all that white privilege and all and all this stuff. It's the uh, you know this is at a four year a four year college, folks, up in Washington State, this Evergreen State College, and, and he got in. All this hot water over. And then, of course, people said, hold on a second. Um, maybe this guy's actually got something worthwhile to say. And, and he, I can't remember, do we have him on this show? We definitely had some. No, we had an NYU professor who had a similar situation. But we, we haven't had Weinstein. I don't think we've had Weinstein on this show. I can't remember. We have so many guests. You know, it's a high-class problem. But anyway, why I'm updating you on Evergreen is, for one, just to remind you all, as, as we're always being told that... Uh, that Trump is terrible. You know, the, the cover of The Atlantic, the very fancy, highbrow journal of, of opinion and culture, uh, has 
the death of democracy on its cover for this month. You know, it's, it's all about Trump is just destroying democracy in general. That's the that's the basics. Uh, as people are saying all this crazy stuff, meanwhile, they'll support things like an idea of uh, no white people allowed at school for the day. And they don't see that as being in any way problematic. They don't see a, a day without white people as as an issue. Uh, and turns out other people do because there has been a catas- this is a quote, a catastrophic drop in applications to Evergreen State College. People do not want to go anymore. Oh, wow. What a surprise. You mean when you have a crazy idea that a school embraces that is just beyond even what what you would expect from the social justice left and all of their lunacy, you mean that people might react to that in ways that you don't want them to? Uh, They expect 350 freshmen in uh, in their incoming class but the school has a 3,000 a 3,000 person enrollment. So if you do that year by year, their uh, their numbers are down. Well, I mean, r- let's say it's roughly uh, they have roughly 1,600 students at the at the freshman incoming class rate. But they're supposed to have 3,000, so they're down like half. They're down half, which is. Oh, and and as producer Mike points out, Mizzou, which had that professor who was like, we need some muscle over here. We need some muscle over. You know, guys, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch the video. You remember that? Yeah. Melissa. What was her name? Melissa Click. Yeah. Melissa Click. I I need some muscle. He's videotaping us here. Uh, That school, producer Mike just pointed out, has had a 35% drop in applications. So... You know, I know right now a lot of people are saying, oh, Nike's brilliant. Their marketing campaign, social justice is is such a, a winning a winning strategy. Well, first of all, I think the jury's still out on whether Nike's made a smart move or not. It initially, it was a really bad move. Now they're saying it's rebounded. But for these schools that go too hard left on the social justice, the corrective mechanism that's in place is normal people look at this and say, I don't want to go to that place. That school's crazy. So that's a good thing. You know, it's a, it's a victory for sanity today. And uh, Evergreen State College. Uh, I want to talk to you about what it's like to try and be Russian and date in D.C. I'm obviously not dating, nor am I Russian, but I read a story about it. Stay with me. So what's it like these days to be Russian and in the swamp? What is it like to walk around and uh, want to drink vodka and uh, talk to the Amerikansky? The the truth is that because of all the uh, Russia collusion craziness because so many people have gotten focused in on this notion of Russia as our as our greatest foe uh, and and the Russian people as lurking under every under every bed and and you know in every internet chat room on every computer there's a Russian troll just waiting to uh, leap out and throw an election I mean it really is it, it's a hysteria it, it is a true red scare uh, without the high-level penetrations of the United States government. Oh, that's right. Of uh, Democrats, by the way, uh, that occurred during the actual original Red Scare. But it's not just something that affects people in the world of politics and and in the the legal realm. You also have the day to day. But I thought this was pretty funny. I mean, the uh, Politico has a magazine piece. Politico is kind of a competitor of of the Hill where I work. 
And they have a magazine piece that's Tinder Woes, Suspicious Landlords, and Snarky Bosses, Young and Russian in D.C., and the subhead is Washington's young emigre crowd is beginning to feel like they're living in a spy novel and they're the bad guys. <laughs> so it turns out that uh, there are plenty of, of folks who have really internalized all this stuff about Russia and Russia collusion to the degree that now when a young Russian guy or gal is out on a date in the district, people make jokes about whether they're you know, part of the election meddling process or if they're also working for the FSB. And I remember a while ago, there was a place here in D.C. Uh, that was it's called the Russia House. And they basically serve a lot of flavored vodka. I mean, they just they make a lot of different flavored vodkas there. And I went on a, a few dates there back in the day. I definitely spent some time in Russia House. And it was right on Connecticut Avenue in Washington, D.C. It's a great spot. But because of all the anti-Trump Russia stuff, they've actually seen a drop-off in their business, which is just crazy, especially because the Russia House is owned by Americans. Like, they just, this is kind of a, a, a kitschy thing that they've gone with and now people are, are punishing Russia House it would seem because they, they're they worried that some oligarch is a, an owner in it or something and it's not true uh, and they, they tell some stories about this here about how quote um, Marivana a three story restaurant and nightclub littered with Soviet era kitsch opened in DuPont Circle and became the Russian diaspora's de facto party house it's KGB karaoke nights on Wednesday uh, Wednesdays, raged into the morning hours. Top Russian acts like Ivanushki, Ivanushki International would swing through town to play gigs, and Washington Capitol stars Alexander Ovechkin and Alexander Semin would sometimes join in the revelry with students and summer workers from all over the former Soviet Union. Um, and then they said, before I would call an event and say, hey, we're going to have Ukrainian Independence Day and everybody would come. This is according to a, a, a Soviet-born DJ. Uh, he says, it didn't matter. Ukrainian, Russia, no, nobody dis differentiated. Then Vladimir Putin annexed Crimea. The headlines were full of sanctions and the Ukrainians went their own way. And now it, it, it's considered poor taste to throw anything with Russian nationalist overtones. Um, when Maria Butina, 29, was charged with acting as an unregistered Kremlin agent from her perch as a grad student at American University, it seemed to confirm Washington's worst suspicions about them. And now more so than ever, the capital's young Russian Tonians find themselves living in a battlefield of the new uh, Cold War. Oh, man, it's pretty fun. This is a piece by... Uh, who is it? I can't find out who it is. Oh, Ben Schreckinger. Talking about how when they go out on Tinder dates now or when they try to rent an apartment, they hear stuff from their landlords about whether they... Well, actually, they think there's discrimination. You know, technically, you're not allowed to discriminate against somebody even based on national origin in housing, which I'm not sure everybody knows. You know that you can't, based on gender... Uh, disability or uh, ethnic or racial origin, but you can't even say, hey, you know, we're we're at war with X country, so I'm not going to rent to people who are from that country, which I think would surprise a lot of folks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, these these periods of time when you have a certain uh, nationality or you know, a certain country that becomes 
the the number one boogeyman in our international relations. Uh, it, it has these kinds of effects. I remember after uh, after 9-11 and then going into the uh, Iraq war period, there was a pretty heavy degree of anti-French sentiment. You guys remember this? Remember back with the whole, they were going to call them freedom fries instead of French fries? There was a restaurant in New York called uh, Etats-Unis, which means United States, and they it was completely American-owned and operated, but they just it was French cuisine, and they called it Etats-Unis. And I remember them them being quoted about how they felt like people weren't, and and they had heard from people that they they didn't want to uh, you know support a French restaurant because of what France's foreign policy was. So you know you come up against this sometimes, and it's silly, but in D.C. it's it's very real right now because you get people that are getting picked up like Maria Butina, who are essentially socialites. And she was a socialite who was trying to, you know, storm the corridors of, of power here in America and to do so by personal connections. And there they have her folks. She's locked up and they won't even let her out on bail. So she's in prison for this whole thing. And they're going to try to get her on a foreign agent registration violation. I don't know what else they think they're going to nail her on. Uh, but that's usually a, a pretty minor thing, at least when it involves an American. But there's a hysteria from the DOJ all the way down. I, I think that's what that's what the real difference is here, folks. It's not just that people are socially thinking of Russia as, oh, gosh, I've heard about this on the news. But the Department of Justice acts like anything Russia related now is a dire threat to the country. So if you're on a Tinder date and you're, and you're Russian, say you're from Georgia. They won't know which one. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Team Buck rallies together now. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. That's right. Feel those funky beats with the roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Let's get to it, my dudes and dudettes. Bill writes, when you do Hillary's voice, it cracks me up. I think for about 15 minutes. One night you could do uh, pretend that she's there and have conversations with her. Well, Bill, hello. Uh, by the way, I have really learned a lot from listening to you. Thank you so much, Bill. I hope we entertain you here. And I, I hope that you uh, enjoy your time on the show and learn things. So all, those, all that good stuff happening. Thank you very much. Um, Michael writes, by the way, if you really want to know about hurricanes and why climate change has nothing to do with them, get Joe Bastardi on the show. He's the Jesse Kelly of meteorology. Well, let me tell you, first of all, that's high praise uh, to call him the Jesse Kelly of meteorology. As you know, we like Jesse Kelly very much here in the hut. Um and and look at that, Michael. We we had Joe on the show. It, isn't that amazing how it happens like that? You know, ask and ye shall receive, my friend. That's how we make it happen here. We we are in the team buck pleasing business in the Freedom Hut, which is important because all of you have high expectations for uh, just that very fact, that very thing. Lori writes, Buck, you mentioned on there that you don't believe people like Nancy Pelosi were Christians if they held the leftist views you were discussing. I'm curious you, uh, what you believe about the Apostle Paul's statements to the church in Corinth 
where he describes those who practice certain behaviors will not enter the uh, kingdom of heaven. At the same time, he makes it clear that although those who claim to be Christians may have once practiced those behaviors, they do so no longer. Uh, I think the list he gives is an indictment on many who claim to be Christians, don't you? Laura, I'd have to check it out. I'm not familiar with that verse. I'm not familiar with that passage in the Bible. And and remember, I was just really referring to, I don't understand how you can claim to be a believing Christian and be in favor of abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy. And in fact, real abortion, uh, abortion movement doctrine is that you have the right to an abortion, even if the fetus is successfully delivered against the best efforts of the medical team involved. Uh, that's why there. That's what necessitated the Born Alive Infant for, uh, Protection Act. And uh, I would note that not only did my advisor at Amherst uh, help craft that bill at Amherst College, uh, he was involved in that a long time ago, but Barack Obama was one of the very few that I know of, at least, who, as a state senator in Illinois, voted against a companion bill to the Born Alive Infants Protection Act because he, he wanted to be an absolute 100% thumbs up from NARAL, Pro-Choice America, and, and the uh, Planned Parenthood uh, money machine behind politics. So that you take that for what it's worth. But Laurie, I'd have to check that verse out, and we will see. Uh, Darby writes, hey, Buck, show's amazing as always. Darby, man, you always, you always brighten up my day, Darby. I can always count on Darby to make things a little better. I am continually impressed by your analysis. Your ability to articulate your opinion is very impressive to me because you have the ability to say exactly what's on my mind 99% of the time. Well done, sir. As a side note, I suffered in silence for eight years, but I can be silent no longer. Obama whistles when he says the letter S. It makes me crazy. I hope I'm not the only one. Shields, hi, brother. Love to you and Miss Molly. Hope you're both doing well. Well, love right back to you, Darby, uh, from us here in the swamp in D.C. And I am... I can't tell you that I have ever picked up Obama making an S. What do you say he does? He whistling when he makes an S sound. I'm, I have never picked up on that, and I tend to think that I'm a pretty astute. I'll have to go back and listen to some of it. Um, TJ writes, Buck, you really don't think Woodward is a fabricator. What about the confession he obtained from the comatose CIA director, William Casey? If that's not fabrication, I don't know what is. TJ, you know, I'm sure there have been fabrications in his past just based on his reporting record. I'm not saying he's never fabricated. I'm just saying I find it hard to believe that he would engage in wholesale fabrications in this book. But keep in mind that he doesn't fabricate does not mean that he is not peddling fabrications, right? Like, TJ, if I was interviewing you for a book and you were... Uh, the the main person that I needed to talk to on a certain subject. And I said, hey, what happened when you had a conversation about this or that thing in the room? And I wrote down verbatim what you said, and I transcribed it, and I, and I also recorded the audio. I'm not fabricating, but if you fabricated, then the information is fake. And I think that, that a lot of that has happened. Not only to think that, I mean, General Mattis and others have said that some of the information in the Woodward book is, in fact, Fabricated. I would note that uh, this weekend I'm going to dive into the Woodward book. This weekend that's going to be my my uh, light reading. Lucinda, cool name, writes, Dear Buck, I am touched by your 9-11 story and how it changed the direction of your life. I appreciate your show and look forward to listening every day. 
Knowing this, I'm glad, for lack of a better word, that you uh, abandoned your Wall Street ambitions and ended up in my speakers. P.S. You have read uh, e- two emails from my friend Julie, who has a, who has the uh, cute baby in Colorado. If you read this on air, shout out to her for recommending you. Shields high, Lucinda. Well, absolutely. Shout out to Julie and her adorable baby uh, for passing on word to Lucinda, who is now also a part of Team Buck. As I've been saying, this is how the show grows, and this is the single most helpful and honestly most kind and generous thing you can do for all of us here in the Freedom Hut is to just tell a friend, hey, check out this show. Uh, Kimberly writes, Hannity always has Joe Bastardi on to explain these storms, and he is like me, a climate denier. Well, Kim, again, I anticipate what the team wants to hear in some of this stuff, so... I anticipate it as, uh, as best I can, uh, and I'm glad that we were able to have Joe on the show. Um, the podcast is missing an iHeart on 910, Adam says. All right, Adam, we'll take a look at that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why that is. We, you know, we had that one day where we had a kind of a half show on the podcast. We've gone back to full podcast. Don't worry. Uh, and you can all plan on the podcast getting released earlier on in the day. So the podcast of the show, you can always listen live. You can listen on the iHeart stream. Uh, you can listen on whatever your, whatever your affiliate station is across the country. But you can also, if you're a podcast listener, check in because we try to get as much of the show up as early as we can. So uh, check in your feeds, folks, and you'll probably start to see it earlier on because we had been posting it around 10 Eastern, we're moving it up quite a bit from there. In fact, we're going to move it up as early as we can and hopefully get it a few hours earlier than that into your feed. So uh, that way you can listen on the way home. You can listen as you're making dinner uh, and that and people won't be a day behind with the podcast. So I think that's really important. Uh, Sheldon writes, Buck, thank you for the great shows. This is related to the podcast issues earlier in the week. I want to be clear. Um I would love the early Quick Hit podcast along with the Night Radio podcast. I think what was confusing was we had the Quick Hit podcast as promised, which was great, but the full show was never uploaded on Monday. Then on Tuesday, we only got the full show, no Quick Hits. Uh, I'm not sure how things work as far as iTunes and podcasts operate. If you still want to do the short show, uh, you know we'd love to hear that. Shields High from Sheldon. So Sheldon, what what we're gonna do for now is just we're just gonna focus on the full show, and this has been something of an experiment. Uh, we're gonna focus on the full show, but we're gonna get it up earlier. Uh, we're gonna have the podcast up earlier on in the day uh, because some of this show, some of the radio show you're listening to, is delayed. So a lot of what you're, uh, a lot of the different segments um, are getting delayed later on in the radio clock, depending on what market, what station you're listening on. So the pod, instead of waiting for us to clear all the st- uh, all stations everywhere, uh, we're going to put the podcast up earlier in the day. So that is the plan. Anne writes, Charleston, South Carolina here. We made the decision to evacuate last night. Glad we did because the storm changed path a bit overnight and the Charleston area looks to get more of a hit than it was going to yesterday. Things got hairy when the governor called for evacuations Monday, trying to keep calm. Well, Anne, it's very important that you keep calm. And uh, you're in our thoughts and prayers, to be sure. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, you and all of your loved ones are, are safe. And that's priority number one. So make sure you take care of yourself, take care of those around you, and uh, check back in with us once you've made it through this storm. Uh, all good. And uh, team, that's going to be it for the Freedom Hut, uh, or rather the Buck Sexton Show, today. Same thing, I guess. See you tomorrow, same time. Shields high.